Hey guys, welcome to the Persons with Lived Experience podcast, inspiring stories for unprecedented times with Dixie and Zona. I really suffered from cognitive dissonance, right? Like there was one part of my brain that was like, dude, this is not your life. You need to go. And I was like, no, you stop talking. Like, I'm going to drown you or I am going to snort you or numb you or I don't want to hear that because another part of my brain was very aware even before the script flipped. Like, our relationship was always violent. So Mm -hmm. I knew, I always knew leaving was not going to be an option. This podcast contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please Check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take precautions for yourself. Thank you. I am Dixie and I'm all about joy, justice, and fair trade fashion. I'm an anti-trafficking advocate, mom of many, and passionate worshiper. And I am Zona. I'm a writer a speaker, a person with lived experience of human trafficking and homelessness, uh, a tiny house enthusiast, and a serial foodie. Our guest today is Alexandra Stevenson, who started her anti-trafficking work at just 11 years old. Ten years later, she herself was trafficked. After Alexandra was able to restart her life, she dedicated herself to learning everything she could about trauma, its effects, and after effects by focusing her studies on criminology, victimology, psychology, and justice services. It would be another 10 years before she understood that her experience with her abusive boyfriend was, in fact, human trafficking. We have our guest, Alexandra. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, We would love to hear more of your story. So why don't you go ahead and kind of let us know more about you? Absolutely. Um, So my story is often, or I think of it kind of as maybe one that isn't told quite as often, but might actually be more of a common narrative than we think. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was trafficked in 2007 at the age of 20 years old, uh, but I didn't actually find out I was trafficked until roughly 2017. And my story actually starts well before I was trafficked, because as we know, none of us just drop on this earth, you know, in the middle of a really crappy situation or middle of our lives, things happen beforehand that lead us to where we end up. Mm -hmm. So for myself, um, I grew up in, you know, one of those sort of idyllic suburban towns uh, mom and dad raised my brother and I, you know, went through school. I did, I got good grades. I was a gymnast and a swimmer. I tried singing. I apologize to my singing teacher. I never should have. <laughs> um, and I actually became an advocate really early on. Uh, when I was in grade six, I had a teacher who read us a story about a boy in Toronto. I grew up just outside of Toronto. And, uh, this boy had read a story himself about another little boy, uh, who had escaped child labor in Pakistan and was speaking out about it. And when the Toronto boy, and he was shot while he was speaking out. So when the Toronto boy read about this, he started an organization called Free the Children, um, which later became known as the massive we charity and massive movement of me to we behind, uh, like across the globe. Yeah, sure. But this is back when it was still 
Craig Kilberger with Free the Children and him and his small group of friends. And my friends and I actually decided to start the first Oakville chapter of Free the Children. And we did so. So I spent my first school dance, you know, packing up um, donations for school and health kits to send to kids overseas and then, you know, knocking door to door to get signatures for petitions. So I was what everyone would absolutely consider, you know, the good kid, 100 percent. And then when I was 13 years old, my best friend's uncle began sexually assaulting me. And this went on for many years. And I didn't tell anyone. And I kept up appearances. And I started doing drugs. And, you know, it, it nothing happened all at once. It was all these incremental, maybe I'll hang out with these people instead. I stopped hanging out with the girls with whom I started that chapter with. And I slowly lessened my advocacy work and started hanging out after school in the woods and smoking a cigarette. And it went on from there. So by the time I was 20 years old, I was actually doing meth. Um, but I maintained that stark um, day life and night life. So my day life, I was the manager of two tanning salons. I had employees. I made schedules. I did orders. I was, you know, quite accomplished for a 20-year-old. Um, 19, 20 year old. And by night I was partying and at this point dating worse and worse guys and just sort of really getting entrenched into this scene lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And then I started dating this one guy and he had been in jail for most of my, um, teenage years. And I knew his twin brother, uh, cause his twin brother was my dealer. And when he got out of jail, he knew of me. I knew of him. And frankly, it seemed like a match made in heaven. He was a drug dealer. I was doing drugs, you know, stars aligned. And it was a tale as old as time. Um, anyway, so we partied together and, you know, I said, we're doing drugs together. And anybody who has experienced this sort of lifestyle knows that your relationship goes zero to 60 in like a day or two because you're awake, because it's chemically enhanced, because you know, you're in this lifestyle and all of that. So we weren't together very long, but it, you know, our relationship exploded very quickly. Um, and so it wasn't long before he turned to me and he said, you know, we're doing more drugs than we're selling and we're going to need to supplement our income. And I was like, you've got it, babe. What can I do? Right? Like we're business partners. This is Bonnie and Clyde. I am your wifey. I'm your ride or die. Let me know. I'm here to help. So we came up with um, sort of these heists uh, where the idea would be we can kind of steal some small things we could pawn just to supplement the income a little bit. So I was participating in this by being the distraction and I was happy to do it. Um, at that point, I really had the mindset that, you know, my body, my sexuality, being a girl, like all of it had meant one thing for a very long time at this point. So finally, to me, it was like, now I can take some power back over. If it was gonna be taken from me anyway, if I'm only ever gonna be looked at as a sex object, then mm -hmm. at least let me be in control of it. Let me use it for my own good instead of someone else using me for their good. Mm -hmm. So at this point, I really understood myself to be a consenting partner 
in this. I really walked into the commercial sex industry. Like I was like, absolutely. I'm going to use my body and anybody, any guy who's going to, you know, allow to himself to be distracted because some girl is, you know, taking off her shirt or something like that. Like bully for him. He's an idiot. I'm in charge here. Right. Um, and so this went on for a, a short while until, uh, my boyfriend said, you know, I want to try something a little different, but I'm going to need you to take this guy into this room. And at this point, I kind of was like, I don't like, uh, yeah, I have some reservations about this. Um, and as soon as I showed any, I can't even remember exactly what I said, but as soon as I, I demonstrated some pushback, his response was like, you're going to do it. Do you want everyone to know you've been stealing from them? And I remember thinking like, well, that's an interesting way to say we've been stealing from them. And I realized pretty quickly that, you know, A, he was the one with the rep. He was the one with the respect. I was just the wifey. People were absolutely going to believe him. And even if they didn't, even if they did believe that I was coerced into it or I could play my victim card or something like that, um, they were going to side with him anyway because they were scared of him, not me. And he was, he was a pretty scary dude. Mm -hmm. um, so there was not really a chance for like everything just flipped right then. And as soon as it flipped, uh, we, it was very obvious that the boundaries were no longer there and anything I was asked to do, um, I was going to do. And that included being put on stage at a strip club, being sold to the strip club owner, in fact, to pay off some of his debts. Um, uh, find out that he was actually drugging me and taking pictures of me. But when I'd wake up, he'd, you know, be like, oh, you're such a mess. You're so lucky you have me. You can't handle your alcohol at all. Like, good thing I took care of you. Um, and I only found this out because I woke up, I guess, earlier than he was expecting once and found him taking pictures of me and was like, oh, uh, what's happening? I'm to this day very grateful. This was 2007 and his flip phone did not take good pictures. I have no idea what happened exactly with those pictures other than he made some money off them. I don't know with who, I don't know where they are and I'm not digging into it. I don't need to know that. Um, but so all of this, uh, long story, somewhat short, I eventually ended up in a car accident, which is really what saved my life because I was so broken and bruised and battered from that, that I was, uh, in and out of the hospital for a few days and then kind of not able to move very well. And I remembered that I had in fact, um, applied to school and on this thought, like maybe I should, you know, do the thing everyone's doing and not just sure. screw around for years doing drugs. And I had been accepted to all the schools I applied to. So in this moment, um, or a couple moment days of, as my head's clearing and, and, you know, everything, I decided to accept a position at St. Clair College in Windsor. Um, I went there to visit it as I started, you know, getting my mobility back and feeling a bit better. I went there to visit, I had friends who lived in Windsor. And while I was there, I got pictures of myself walking around Windsor um, and a clear indication, you can't get away from me there. I have people there, you're oh. not safe there. And I was like, oh, okay. So I kind of went back and just kept, went back to my boyfriend and went back to things. And honestly, I can't 
my my mind was never fully there anymore. I had tasted this idea that maybe I maybe this wasn't my life. And in I remembered all of a sudden a moment of vulnerability. He had told me he couldn't go to Ottawa. He had been in jail in Ottawa. He'd ratted on someone. People wanted him dead. And I was like, ding, 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 ding. That's where I'm going. I had applied to school in Ottawa, Algonquin College. Um, and I accepted that. And within a very short time, I quietly just like moved to Ottawa, ran away. Um, my first year at college was an unmitigated success. I was voted the class rep. I went back to being my true nerdy self of getting straight A's, sitting in the front of the classroom, like hand up all the time. Um, and I actually did so well that I was offered a scholarship to the local university, University of Ottawa. And I switched in there and started my uh, degree in criminology. Mm -hmm. And I would, was doing that for a short while. And then one day I was out um, doing, as college kids do, drinking my weight in green beer on St. Patrick's Day when I felt a tap on the shoulder at this bar and I turned around and I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, so I won't, but he said, I told you I didn't find you. And he was there. Oh, sure and I have never experienced a more visceral trauma reaction than I did in that moment. Because let me tell you something, up until that, this is now like an, a year and a half or so um, from when I escaped, I'd had not contact or anything. Um, and I, but you know what I had in my head, I had won so many shower arguments against him, right? Like I was practicing for my debut on stage where I would, I curse the day you were born. And I would have this monologue and I would tell him what for and all of that. And I had actually convinced myself that what had happened wasn't that bad. And who was I to think it was, you know, and maybe I had some scars on my body, but didn't I kind of, you know, I, I made those decisions and, and all of that. So I'd really talked myself out of most of what had happened. And um, when I saw him, my body, like I, my feet were moving before my head even knew what was happening and ran to the bathroom, uh, ended up going to the police. And, you know, that started a court case. That's when we finally end up entrenched in the criminal legal system. Um, mm -hmm from which he was charged with four charges and after i want to say another year and a half or something um we finished our case he was found not guilty on three of the four charges and released shortly thereafter so it and then it took him less than two weeks from his release date to find out where i worked and hey zona here hope you're enjoying today's episode just wanted to drop in and talk to you about our partnership program that is launching with Bring Freedom, February 15th, 2023, we are going to be walking you through exactly how to have a personalized response for your community to um, trafficking, to exploitation, uh, to people presenting even with, you know, domestic violence or, or abuse, because we want you to have a powerful response with the support that you need in order to make the best change and to have the safest community that you can possibly live in. The way that we're going to do that is that we have several tiers, including uh, individual or family tier, a small business or a small nonprofit or a large business or a large nonprofit in order to help work with you, to equip you, to get the training that you need to understand 
what your response should be in your community, what things are already there and active, and how can you tap into those things, but fundamentally to not let anybody fall through the cracks. What we're able to offer through the partnership program is hands-on monthly trainings. We'll be able to walk you through the bonus material from our podcasts, including um, the question and answer content with our persons with lived experience that will be available to you twice a month. We will also have uh, our office hours where you'll be able to Come right in and ask Dixie and I questions, and we'll have other experts on there as well so that you can get the answers and the connections that you need for your community, and we can help you troubleshoot anything that you're not finding. You will also have all of the recordings from our All for One Challenge that will be available to you uh, as a free bonus if you sign up now before our launch February 15th as you're a part of the development of further materials for prevention and awareness and the very best way to get this information out so that we have the safest communities possible. Go ahead and visit us at bringfreedom.org in order to find out more. And show up there. This is November, 2010. At this point, I dropped out of school, um, started looking at how I was gonna change my name, getting credit cards in a different name, just like, I'm never gonna be away from this person. I don't know, like I'm I'm just stuck. Um, and then in January 2011, he was stabbed to death in our hometown in an incident completely unrelated to me. Right. And I, we were at the, in the process, I'd gone back to the police. They were in the process of trying to find him, they tell me. But if he was in our hometown, I don't think they were looking very hard. Um, and so we were going to be going back to court and all of that. And then he was stabbed to death. And... That was that sort that became the end of that story. Yeah. Now I started this with I didn't find out I was trafficked for another 10 years. So what I thought I had experienced was domestic violence. There was no mention of trafficking by the police. Granted, I'm not sure I gave them information that would have led to them thinking that because I wasn't about to tell the police that I had stolen from people and been a stripper and, and whatever else, because I had seen how police treated strippers at my work and all of that. Um, had they asked, I, I feel confident that I would have told them, but I wasn't going to volunteer the information. I certainly didn't understand how the whole justice system worked. Um, and so now I'm, I, you know, get a degree in criminology, get a degree in victimology, get a diploma in community and justice services. And I moved to Wyoming with my uh, husband and I meet this young woman there uh, well, young one my age, um, and she is new to the town we live in, and and we get connected. And she said, "I say, you know, you're doing human trafficking work. I don't know anything about human trafficking, but I I am fairly well versed in the helping field, as I call it. You know, so social services and all of that. Um, so let me help, however I can help." Um, and so we put our heads together, and I actually started sharing a little bit about my story, and it was her who turned around and said, "Um." that's trafficking. Mm -hmm. And I remember going, no, I know what trafficking is. Trafficking is a big thing and it happens over there to those people. Whatever that actually meant, I don't know, but it wasn't a thing that happened to me. Mine was domestic violence and bad decisions. 
Um, and she explained to me what trafficking was and my head almost exploded. Yeah. And I remember sitting there going, I have a degree in criminology. I have a degree in victimology. I have a diploma in community and justice services. I'm doing my master's in psychology. I've worked in the criminal justice system. I've worked with offenders, with victims, with men, with women, with, um, you know, rehabilitation and prevention. I have never once heard the word trafficking come up in a situation like this. I've only ever heard it come up in the movie Taken or similar type things, maybe some of the books I've read. Um, if I don't know what happened to me as human trafficking, how in the heck can anyone else understand what human trafficking is? And it happens so often. And, it's and crazy. That, it's, it's so true. Everyone has this idea, I think, A, the conflation of human trafficking with human smuggling, and B, the idea that human trafficking is this big, bolded thing, right? It's, it's major crime syndicates, it's Russian oligarchs, it's, you know, all of this. It's not that thing that happens between a boyfriend and a girlfriend in a small suburban town outside of Toronto, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what spurred um, the founding of Uprising, which is the nonprofit. And that is really what kickstarted my work into the anti-trafficking field. Right. So thank you for listening patiently as I went through that yeah. whole thing. But I can't figure out what part of that I can cut out to mm -hmm. make it, um, you know, more succinct. I haven't gotten there yet, but there we are. It's very succinct. You yeah. did a great job sharing your your point of view and your story. So mm -hmm. I think it's really yeah. important. Right. And I think it's important for people to understand um, that it isn't always somebody that chooses to stay. It isn't always somebody, you know, like you had really tried to move on, not once, but at least twice. And you had been actively thinking about, okay, how do I get out of this? Where do I know is going to be a safer place for me to go? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that visceral reaction of, the body keeps the score. It is crazy when you're, you know, you go into autopilot and your brain is not making those executive functioning decisions for you anymore. And all of a sudden your body is just like, okay, this is what we do now because this is the point that we're at again. And mm -hmm. it in like, no matter how much work you've done, no matter how much, whatever, like when that thing gets triggered and especially by a specific person, if it has been a boyfriend it was somebody that you trusted it was somebody that you you know you chose and obviously that was under <laughs> the influence but you know we're all at that place sometimes where we're being triggered and it's hard to interrupt the trigger at that moment in time yeah it is I think one of the other things that was really hard was that though I had not worked through it I had shoved it all into this tiny little box. And like I said, I had convinced myself that, you know, it really wasn't that bad. And I had fun, you know, and even while I was with him before I started, you know, before the car accident, I really suffered from cognitive dissonance, right? Like there was one part of my brain that was like, dude, this is not your life. You need to go. And I was like, no, you stop talking. Like, I'm going to drown you or I am going to snort you or numb you or I don't want to hear that because another part of my brain was very aware, even before the script flipped, like our relationship was always violent. Mm -hmm. So I knew 
I always knew leaving was not going to be an option. We are so excited for you to save the date for March 30th, 31st, and April 1st. No, this is not an April Fool's joke, but we have our very next free training that will be scheduled during that time where we'll be bringing you the latest and best practices from experts in the field that will really help you have things you can implement in your own life to be a safe person, to make your community a safer place, and for you to have a response to fight human trafficking so that we together can end this in our lifetime. So make sure you save the dates, March 30th, 31st, and April 1st for our next free training. Mm-hmm. So, and I had actually, I remember his sister coming home once and she, her and I had been in school together and she was like, uh, what are you doing in my house? I'm like, oh, I'm dating your brother. And she was like, get out, go, he'll kill you, get out. And I was like, I got this, you know? And so I was in this place where A, before the car accident, Whenever that little voice in my head said, dude, this is not good. You're not safe. I was like, shut up. We partying. And I would say out loud to anybody who would listen, um, mostly to convince myself just as much, like, screw you. I'm having fun. I make more money than you. Like, I am having a blast. I choose this life. You're just jealous. Like, whatever it was, whatever the narrative was, because I desperately needed to believe that. Because if I didn't believe that I had autonomy, then I had to understand that I was trapped. And I could not touch that. Anytime my brain went there, it was like touching hot coals. And it was like, nope, okay, not that, not, nope, we are having fun, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. you chose this. You made these, you knew who he was when you started dating him. You made these choices. You walked into this with open eyes. You are not trapped. And then once I was, like, I had escaped and, you know, I packed all of that into a little box. I basically tried to drown it in, you know, platitudes and, and belief that it was not that bad. And, you know, yes, it was violent. So domestic violence. Okay. We can check that box. Fine. You've experienced domestic violence, but like a lot of people do not that big a deal, put it away. And then seeing him and to know that like, where I thought like, oh, sure, you had a little trauma, but you worked through it, like check the box, healed, you're a survivor now, you get your pin. And then to see him and to have my body just completely take on, a, a, if I want to say mind of its own, like complete reaction of its own, mm-hmm. was not only a wake up call to like, hmm, maybe not fully healed, Um, but also maybe as bad as your body keeps trying to tell you it was. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's why you have nightmares that you're trying to pretend you don't have. And you have intimacy problems with your boyfriend. You're trying to pretend you don't have, and you can walk around still looking like, um, sex and heels, like wearing very promiscuous things, working as a club promoter, like all of that, and then go home and, you know, want to put like, just have so many issues with emotional and physical intimacy and all of that. It was just this like jarring, you not healed girl, you broken still, you need help. (laughs) Yeah. And I was not prepared for that. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I think too, especially when you have like a very active mind and you're very intelligent, you know, I mean, you have this long history of like 
having, you know, all these great things that you've read in books and all these things that you're taking classes on and stuff. It's still a different application when it's like, a oh, this applies to me. Yeah. Yes. That's one of my, one of my favorite, uh, my therapist's favorite things to tell me is analyzing your feelings is not the same as feeling your feelings. And she's like, you are highly intelligent. You have all of this knowledge. You've learned all of this stuff in school. So you can analyze what's happened to you and why and what psychological impact it had and what led to it. She goes, but that is not the same as actually feeling what it feels to acknowledge what happened to you and what psychological impact it's had and all of that. So yes, you can know it, but knowing it is like, kind of slapping information on the armor and the shield you wear. Feeling it is letting it beneath that shield. And that's a totally different, totally different step. Yes, definitely. Well, um, you mentioned uprising. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want to share a little bit about that? Absolutely, I do. I, I love uprising. Can you tell my face is just like, <laughs> ah. um, uprising is a nonprofit based out of Wyoming that is dedicated to confronting human trafficking uh, through education, awareness, and outreach. And our goal, our, our main focus with Uprising is working um, upstream. That's our goal, right? You know, we actually got a lot of pushback when we started it with everyone saying, do survivor care, because that's where the money is, right? That's where you get grants and all of that. And we, I, I very, very, very adamantly was like, no. First of all, I don't have the bandwidth to do survivor care. I know I don't have the emotional um, walls. I like to, to hear other stories all the time and not be able to just wave a magic wand and fix it. Um, I also, like I'd originally gone into clinical psychology and then been like, no, I can't do that. I'm not that person. Um, the other thing was I refused to do survivor care with the goal of being chasing money. That's not fair. Survivors mm -hmm. have already been seen as a paycheck, especially survivors of human trafficking. They don't need that. Mm -hmm. um, and also, I know there's not as much money and prevention is not as sexy, but my God, do we need it? Yeah. How, how did I get to this point of being in my 30s with all the education and knowledge I have and still have no idea what human trafficking is when it happened to me? So yeah. no, prevention. So Uprising's focus is prevention and law enforcement training and all of that. It is still very, very active. It's become the go-to agency, nonprofit uh, human trafficking agency in Wyoming. Um, it is under the run uh, of a uh, directorship of Terry Markham, who is my co-founder, and she is a freaking rock star. Um, and she is the reason Uprising has become what it is today. Um, and I, we actually just had our first, we got a grant to run a regional conference. So we had our first go at that in May and it was a smashing success. We had everything, the whole goal of it was really to introduce and work with MDTs, teaching victim services. They need to work with police, police, they need to work with DFS, DFS needs to work with attorneys. Like we had all of that. And with the weeks and months that followed the conference, we were getting calls left, right, and center saying, hey, I attended your conference. I just had someone walk in and I think I'm seeing signs of trafficking. Can you put me in contact with victim services that you would suggest so we can work this case together? And we're like, ah, it's working. <laughs> amazing. So yeah. 
we even had like mock operations and everything with actors so they can learn to work together through an operation. So the whole thing was a success. Um, and that is, I, I don't want to take any credit for that. That is all Terry, um, but Uprising is, is um, just one of the things that I've, I've been part of that I am absolutely the most proud of. That's awesome. That is so Sounds good. Really good. Um, well, we are super grateful to have had you on the podcast and, um, we are uh, excited to hear where we can connect with you. Where can we connect with your work? Um, what are things that you would like us to, to see that you're doing? Absolutely. Thank you for that. And thank you for having me. And thanks to your listeners for listening to my story and me brag on uprising a little bit um so i'll start with uprising if you are interested if you're in the area um anywhere near or around wyoming colorado any of that um www.uprisingwyo.org uprising uh check them out they're amazing um, I am located in Canada now. I came to, back to my homeland, so I'm in British Columbia, and I work under um, a brand, my brand called The Laughing Survivor. Mm -hmm. um, so you can find me at uh, thelaughingsurvivor.com or on Instagram or TikTok at The Laughing Survivor. Uh, absolutely, please don't judge my social media skills. It takes me like six hours to make a six-second reel. <laughs> me that too. is not my, my strong yeah. suit. But I'm hoping really to be out there educating and helping um, parents and community members and everyone just feel a little bit more empowered around the idea of trafficking. I think the more we know about it and the more we really bring it home and understand that it's happening, um, not to those people over there, but to us right here, um, we can work together to create community heroes and really create community safety. So those are the places to find me. Keep an eye out. I hope in the next, uh, I want to say, year, I will have a book to release. Um, who knows how long that'll take me. Um, but yeah, and I'm always happy to connect with anybody who's working in this field, whether you're in Canada or the U.S. or wherever, because I think everybody has such a unique perspective um, and we can learn so much from each other. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. Thank you for joining us for the Persons with Lived Experience podcast today. I hope you're enjoying season two of these inspiring stories for unprecedented times. Please share this episode with your community so that we can make more ripples to create waves of change. Thank you.